Hi, I'm Isaiah, and I'm your host. In the age of smartphones, tablets, and artificial intelligence, information is everywhere. And with that, we must be extremely careful not to believe everything that we see, hear, and read. Amidst all this chaos, though, it's in the things that are dared not spoken aloud, but in whispers, that we sometimes find truths that are beyond chilling. Truths that change our views and change who we are. Truths that lead us to places and things that we never dreamed could be real. Welcome to Whispered Myths. We all love the coast, and when I think of the coast, I think of Maine. It is truly me and my wife's favorite state. The coast of Maine is unlike most others in the United States. The water is always cold, and the beaches aren't sandy, but rocky and secluded. Imagine, if you will, steep rocky cliffs unending rows of pine trees that come right up to the shoreline, wild purple lupines, and lighthouses, all looking out to the open sea. It is the definition of serenity, and for this, it has been called vacation land. The coast of Maine is beautiful, but dangerous. The ocean there is violent, sometimes reaching its fingers from the depths and snatching lives away in an instant, leaving its mark on the people there. There's a warning sign at Pemaquid Point that simply reads, Warning. Extreme caution is advised while sightseeing near the ocean. Large waves have unexpectedly swept visitors into the water. Lives have been lost. Maybe that's why the locals there are so nice. They are living in vacation land after all, keeping them rejuvenated and reflective. They realize it can all be taken away in a moment. Like the signs say at Pemaquid, lives have been lost along the cliffs and ocean surf of Maine. Alongside those, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, there have been over 700 known shipwrecks in the Gulf of Maine alone, and with the coming of the tides, have long been forgotten. That's why the most chilling stories are those that have been lost to death in time. The ones we've forgotten. Because maybe, just maybe, they want to be remembered and will kill to make sure that they are. The dead can't hurt us. That's what we are told, at least. But on occasion, we hear something to the contrary. And the case of Amelia Welch might be some of the best evidence that says they can. It begins for us in Machiasport that part of the long-forgotten stretch of coastline between Bar Harbor and Canada. 
The town gets its name from the Abenaki word meaning Bad Little Falls. It's often been thought that the name is referring to the violent waterfalls that run directly through the little seaside village. But as with everything, there's another explanation. Some language experts have said that the literal translation of the Abenaki word is the little falls in the evil place. Native artifacts have been found and continue to be found in the surrounding areas, but none quite at or near the falls. Because of this, many have said that the Abenaki people shunned the area, and there's good evidence for it too. The landscape of Machiasport is unforgiving, much like its past. The coastline is made up of large, jagged cliffs, slate and shale beaches, dense, unexplored forests, and lots of fog. Most weather models show that the region experiences upwards of 80 days of fog per year. But it's the town's tragic and deadly history that make the place genuinely unnerving. The falls of Machias have claimed countless lives over the centuries, as have the freezing waters of the North Atlantic looming in the background. And I think that's the thing about Machiasport. If nature in all of its might can't hurt you first, maybe the dead can. Amelia Welch was the wife of Charles Welch, a wealthy and successful sea merchant. From all accounts, they were happily married and had two children. Life was good for the Welches who lived in one of the grandest and oldest homes in Machiasport, the Gables, perched atop a small hill overlooking the Machias Bay. Built in 1795, the house gets its name from its double gable roof, distinguishing it from all other homes in the area. Since being built, though, there were whispers about the house. It was different. Strange things happened there, and as a result, it had difficulty keeping owners. Residents and visitors reported seeing a young man dressed in black pants and a white billowy shirt in the bedroom, standing at the foot of the bed, just staring at them. Others reported the voice of a woman singing late into the night, only to find no origin for the voice and the room empty. Word spread that the place had been built over a portal to the spirit world, and as a result, for almost a century, ownership of the house changed hands numerous times until Charles and Amelia bought the house in the mid-1800s. She begged him not to go. He'd already made his fortune, and she needed him home with the children. But old habits die hard. He needed just one more voyage and in January 1893, against his wife's wishes, Charles made one final voyage to Brazil. He did not return. On January 23rd, 
Amelia received word that Charles had contracted and died of yellow fever. It's been said that she mourned for years and never truly recovered from the pain and shock of Charles's tragic death. She'd taken her wedding vow seriously. Until death do they part. Time heals all wounds. It took years, but Amelia finally got over the loss of Charles. Or so it seemed. She continued her duties of loving mother, and by all accounts was adored by her two children. She was a prominent and active citizen in Machiasport. She involved herself in local politics and activism. She filled the void left by Charles's death with a life of purpose. However, as I mentioned earlier, some vows are taken seriously, some more seriously than others. And in the end, sometimes, not even death can part two people. The winter of 1900 was frigid in Machiasport. And for anyone who's been to Maine in the winter, you know just how cold it can get. New England winters are brutal, especially along the coast. January 23rd was an especially freezing day with temperatures in the single digits and snow and sea spray assaulting the coastal town. Most knew to stay indoors on that day, but that evening, Amelia, the dutiful mother and citizen, told her now adolescent children that she was going out to meet a friend and that she'd be back in a little while. She put on a brand new coat that she'd bought the day before and left. Hours went by and still no Amelia. Finally, around midnight, her children now worried. It wasn't like their mother to go out at all, especially not this late. Her two children bundled up, braved the snow and cold, and began to look for their mother. When they couldn't find her, they did what anyone in that situation would do. They began to knock on their neighbors' doors to see if anyone had seen their mother. Quickly, a search party was formed. They trudged through the snow and ice and looked all over town, but still, no Amelia. The next morning, however, the local pastor saw something from one of the church windows. The Machiasport Methodist Church sits on a bluff overlooking the bay, and he could faintly see what looked like a dark shape on the rocks below. He gathered members of the search party from the night before, and they all made their way down the bluff. You don't need me to tell you what they found. The body was Amelia's. There she was, in her brand new coat, lying among the rocks, shells, snow, and foam. Many assumed she'd been murdered, but by whom? There was no one in town who wanted her dead, and that didn't explain the footprints. There were only one set of footprints leading up to where she was found, her own. Others deduced suicide, but that didn't explain the strange object wrapped around her neck. A wedding veil, 
the wedding veil she'd worn on her wedding day to none other than Captain Charles Welch. While standing on the rocks below the churchyard, a member of the search party gazed across the foggy bay and said, I didn't hear of any ships out today. All of the members looked puzzled, and one responded, There aren't. And they all looked and saw the faint appearance of a tattered old schooner fading into the fog. A drawn-out medical inquest could not determine a proper cause of death outside of natural causes. However, the townspeople of Machias then and now find that unlikely. She was a proud, prominent, and healthy woman in good social standing who had so much to live for. Every explanation yielded more questions than answers. The Bangor Daily News put it best. There is no explanation for the death of Mrs. Welch. The people of Machiasport believe there is only one logical explanation. Charles had returned for his bride. That death could not part them. That sometimes the past will kill in order to be remembered. Amelia's official date of death is listed as January 23rd, 1900, the seventh anniversary of her husband's. The Welch's home, the Gables of Machias Port, still stands today. I've been there, and I've seen it with my own eyes. It's a pretty thing. However, it seems it still has difficulty keeping owners. Maybe that's because of the footsteps. On cold nights, it's been said that footsteps can be heard in a secret upstairs room. A room that is only accessible through the back of a closet. Visitors to the home often hear these steps, and upon investigation, always find the room empty. Some say it is the ghost of Amelia Welch recreating that fateful night. But then there are those who have seen her. Many claim to have seen the lady in white pacing along the desolate coastline beneath the church, only to disappear when they try to approach or call out to her. The mystery of Amelia Welch will never truly be known, but one thing is certain, neither she nor Charles will be forgotten. The ghost of Amelia Welch is not the only phantom woman supposedly stalking the shoreline. That title also belongs to the Lady of the Dust. These years she's mostly seen at twilight, and so she's become known as the Lady of Dust. Sometimes she is seen in the very bright moonlight, and there are those who swear they have seen her figure when the fog rose more shadow than substance. The last time she was ever seen alive was at twilight, the 
chill twilight of a December afternoon in 1931. She had asked for directions to an open sweep of ocean to, quote, get one last good look because she was going west. The ocean encircles South Port Island where Hendrick's head is located. She was told to walk down to the shore, just anywhere to look at the ocean. But she said very politely that what she wanted was an open sweep of the water. And so she was told about Hendrick's head, but was warned that darkness might overtake her. It was early December, and the afternoon shadows were slanting long. But she started off down the highway past the shuttered and locked summer cottages, and nobody for certain ever saw her alive again. The lightkeeper was always certain that he had seen her, and he forever regretted that he had not stamped through the heavy underbrush to get to the cottage on the shore. It was almost dark, and he was almost home. He knew every inch of the area around him, through the winter-stripped trees, he could see the summer cottages looming up darkly a short distance from the road. He knew all the people who owned those cottages could tell them from any distance. He came year after year to Southport and were summer neighbors. And then he saw something flicker just for a second off near one of the cottages. It was like a shadow slipping around a corner of a home. He stopped. Listen, call, but received no answer. Night was coming down fast. He called again, two or three times. Now the twilight was so thick, the outlines of the cottages were melting into the shadows. So he guessed the dusk was playing tricks on him, and he continued on his way. Her lifeless body was found the next morning, dashed among the rocks and ocean surf. Her hands bound by the belt and weighted with a flat iron. Officially, the death was ruled a suicide, but questions remained about that. Whatever the facts regarding her life and untimely death, incidents reported since then have created a local legend. Visitors to the beach have described observing the lonely apparition of a woman dressed in black, wandering about the beach at Hendrick's Head, especially during the twilight hours. The strange thing is, though, that whenever she's seen now, it is usually at the precise moment when twilight is melting into blackness, and she is seen just for an instant, so quickly that no one is ever sure that she's really there or if it is just a trick of the twilight. Her resting place may someday be forgotten, and the legend that surrounds her may fade. But as long as the sun sets over Hendrick's head, one never knows when the Lady of the Dusk might appear in those fleeting moments between the worlds of daylight and darkness. Thanks for listening. This episode was written, researched, and produced by me, Isaiah McGahey. Music by Stefano Gazzetti and Matt Finnegan. If you liked the show, please give us a follow, like, and or subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more, 
You can find us on Instagram at Whispered Myths, YouTube at Whispered Myths Podcast, and TikTok at Whispered Myths.